0: Welcome to the Deepwater Podcast. I'm Dave Mercer. I'm James Judd. And our goal on this podcast is to learn to make disciples the way Jesus made disciples. Yes, sir. Hey, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Deepwater Podcast. Today we're again with John Kelsey discussing what it takes to make intentional disciple-makers, multi-generational, intentional disciple-makers. It's harder than you think, and you need a lot more of the Holy Spirit than you think. Anyway, John has some great things to say on it. I'm excited about it. If you haven't listened to episode 22, go back and listen to it. Otherwise, let's jump in with John. 4. Developing generations of disciple-makers to be fruitful over the long haul requires a much greater commitment on my part than I understood it to be. The temptation is to focus on creating communities with powerful disciple-making momentum. However, as much as we need those communities to reinforce biblical principles, we cannot effectively develop lifetime laborers for the kingdom apart from one-on-one training. Those of us leading disciple-making ministries must model the process and outcomes we want to see in the individual. You also need to rely a lot more on the Holy Spirit than on your ability to do one-on-one. Flesh that out a little bit. And in fact, I know on Facebook the other day, you had a, a really long post with a lot of comments in terms of like the one on one versus communities. What do you see and how do you think those fit together?
1: You know, I remember in seminary, James, um, uh, 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 a girl that sat next to me in one of my classes, and she'd come out of a, a different ministry context than I had. They're the same age, and we we knew of each other, but we didn't really know each other. And she was convinced, because of my time at the OUB, she as a college student, that I was against evangelism, because mm-hmm. she felt like we hyper emphasized discipleship.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I remember I told her, like, "No, I, uh, biblical disciple making is evangelism, leading people to Christ and training them on how to multiply spiritually."
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: in her mind, there is a separation and. I feel like within disciple-making conversations, I see the same type of um, bifurcation that, well, we do it in a group. You know, we really use groups. Well, praise God, so did Jesus. But what about one-on-one? You know, do you think Jesus had one-on-one time with, with Peter, with John, with James? And and I think an effective strategy to, to really build into reproducing laborers has to have both elements. Max always told me, You need actually three elements. You need large groups, small group, and Mm one-on-one. And I think so many uh, ministries do large group well. They teach the Word well. They do small groups. They're healthy, and there's community. But we need to have the intention of the one-on-one, because everyone can meet with one person. Mm
2: -hmm. Right? Yeah.
1: Even the most busy guy around can meet with one person. And then I know ministries that all I do is one-on-one. And I think, wow, you're missing out on so much of the opportunity to have effective community. So I, I just really want to balance. And again, it, it's anecdotal. I'm not trying to pick fights with people, but growing up in the Baptist church, preacher's kid, seminary trained, Southern Baptist minister, and full-time ministry for 23 years, I see very little intentional one-on-one making in the majority of the ministry, ministry structures I've served in, been a part of, attended. Um, it's It's just not happening. And I think it's because we reproduce what we are. Mm-hmm. So many people, their lives have been changed in a small group, praise God. They've never really been in an intentional one-on-one relationship. So that's not built into then what they do as they lead.
0: Yeah. and it's really... I
1: think even a cursory examination of the life and ministry of Jesus and Paul, you see one-on-one. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Where all do you see that? I'm, we see Paul and Timothy a lot. Where all do you see it in Jesus
1: well, that's right. You know, obviously he had the 12 mm-hmm. and then he had the three. And I never forget, um, you know, Max Kelly, because we you we, we used to talk about this all the time. He's like, you know, they're walking down the road. You don't think that, you know, James went up and thumped John on the ear and they start wrestling there on the side of the road and. Jesus kind of grabs Peter by the arm and says, hey, Peter, just hang back, and we're just going to slow down a little bit. And the group walks on ahead, and there, was, there were so many opportunities—and I know these are implicit, what I'm speaking about right now—of mm-hmm. of where Jesus had intentional one-on-one interaction with the disciples. Mm-hmm. I think as we, we do see his relationship with the three, the amount of transfiguration, that there was, there was ample time that it wasn't always just in a small group, just with the three guys. He was having one on one conversations when he redeemed Peter.
2: Mm-hmm. You know, we love
1: to preach that and we love to look at, you know, how, you know, Jesus basically called Peter back to make disciples with the group. But that was a very intentional conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, time and again, there's just no question that his effectiveness, that the amount of hours between mm-hmm. three and three and a half years with these disciples, <laughs> He had a lot of unhurried time with the individual.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so I, I just think, why, why wouldn't we accommodate at some level, particularly those people in our churches and our ministries that really want to grow, why can't we carve out some type of a special one-on-one intensive with them? And usually the response I get is, well, is that seen as favoritism? You know, that's such an extravagant application of spiritual resources. And I would say, yes. Yeah, Yes, it is extravagant, but Jesus and Paul accommodated their disciples in this way. I think we need them to find ways to do that within the ministry that we have as well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Sometimes I've wondered this. This would be an extreme, but, you know, like Jesus, from what I could tell, Jesus basically provided for his 12 disciples for three years Mm -hmm. as well. You know, like, but he did what it took in order to be around them or have them around him. 99 percent of the time 95 you know i don't know what percent but it was a high amount and you get you know in all that quantity of time you get the quality yeah what about the large group because this kept some of, coming out of my background overseas excuse me i've seen a lot more effective use of either the small group or the one-on-one and sometimes i find myself asking like what good is the big group or sometimes even when i've you know i've I prepare a sermon and I spend X amount of hours getting it ready, you know, and I think like from your perspective, where does the, where does the large group fit in?
1: Well, sure. Absolutely. In the local church, I think we have the opportunity for the congregation to come together for the public teaching of the word. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always labored. I've never been on church staff. And so, you know, for us, large group was in, in a campus ministry context, it's a weekly worship service on campus mm-hmm. where we could teach and communicate a vision for disciple making. You know, now our large group is, you know, it could be 30 or 40 people. Mm-hmm. And so just last night we spent uh, the majority of our time just praying over each other. The week before we were doing some chapter studies out of uh second Timothy. Mm-hmm. And so it's an opportunity to, to really interface with the word and to cast vision for something more. Mm -hmm. You know, I know, uh, there are people that have sat under great preaching for decades, and they're really no different today than they were 20 years ago. Right. Right? Right. And so, yes, the Bible's clear. You look in 1 Timothy 5. I mean, we, we need to be teaching the scriptures, and we need to be doing things publicly. But that is not enough to move people forward into intentional spiritual reproduction. Small groups are crucial. But I think there's certain conversations that you can have with an individual that um, you can't have in a small group. Waylon Moore, who was a pastor and a disciple maker, phenomenal man. He did a little paper that was really helpful. He called it One or Many. And, he, you know, is it the group or is it the individual? And he said biblically and practically we see that it's a both hands. hmm Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think the challenge is how can we make, this is for me at least, how can we make the big group more efficient and better? And sometimes we see even in, you know, I'm in a little town out here, you know, there's a number of people that all they come for is the big group, and that's kind of, I think they're testing out church or something. But unless we unless we can pull them into a small group and then later into something that we can deal with them in, whatever's going on in their heart if it can't happen in the small group we're going to lose them you know like they're going to come in the door eventually they're going to go back out the door and they'll say like well i tried god you know and and he didn't do it and you know how how do we make that more effective
1: yeah yeah that's definitely the question everybody seems to be asking
0: yeah yeah and we spend so much i went through a time when i first came back from overseas where i was just like man we don't even need the big group at all and i've i've come to come back. I, I've went away from that view. But it seems so many times it's like so much resources and energy goes into it for what you get.
1: Well, we want people to be well-balanced too, don't we? Mm-hmm. We don't want to wheel that around.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And so you're right, doing that large group well and really thinking critically. I was, actually had a meeting with my pastor this morning and that actually came up. How can we make our our Sunday morning experience more effective? And uh, to make sense in the demographic we're we're a church working with some of the urban poor and and people of color, and you know, it needs to make sense to people. It needs to be effective.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. What are some of the things you guys are trying to do?
1: Well, I think you know, maybe our church is say we don't know, but I, you know, we our church is uh, majority non-white, okay. and even though I am, I'm so white it's not even funny. <laughs> but I've been uh, worshiping in a majority non-white context long enough, and I know you've done that as well, I just see things differently now that Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have seen before. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think some of our presentation, some of our music, really is geared more for a majority white culture than it is a minority culture. Mm -hmm. So I think there's some simple things we could do, but then just long-term, one of the things that our church has been committed, and they do a great job, is training indigenous leaders Mm. And having people up front, not tokenism, but having people up front who are leading that, that really reflect the demographic of the community that we want to reach. Mm. Yeah. So you do see a lot of people of color that have obvious positions of leadership in our church. Mm-hmm. And man, that's that's really cool. Yeah, it is. What church do you go to? It's called Christ Community Church. Uh huh. We meet in South Oklahoma City. Uh, it's a. That plant, I was telling you, I planted a church with a couple of friends in 2006, Uh and then in 2010, our church planted Christ Community Church. Okay. And so Christ Community focuses on African Americans and Hispanics and people that are in um, more disenfranchised communities in South Columbia City. Okay. And then our church planted a year ago uh, another church called Hope Community Church that's trying to do the same thing. It's exciting. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, that is. 5. Developing generations of disciple-makers to be fruitful over the long haul requires a much stronger commitment to prayer than I ever imagined. I always believed in prayer and have practiced prayer throughout my ministry. However, the older I get, the more convinced I am of verses I memorized while in college. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen keep awake in vain. Psalms Mm -hmm. 127.1 Psalms 127.1 I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. John 15.5 The pitfall of younger disciple-makers is to think that they are more in control of the growth growth process than the Holy Spirit. The pitfall of younger disciple-makers is to think that they are more in control of the growth process than the Holy Spirit.
1: Well, I think just my naivete and my arrogance early on, I thought, you know, that I had the answer and I had a great system. Mm -hmm. I remember at one point I was meeting with 14 different people one-on-one every week. And one of the guys, I remember he's from South Carolina, he pushed back on me, he's like, are you really able to give the time and the excellence to this? You're meeting too many people. I was like, yeah, Jesus didn't meet with 14, what am I (laughs) doing? And so we actually had instituted with the staff I had later kind of a limit on how many people we could meet with one-on-one so that the five or six we were training, we could really give them our best.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think now as I'm working with these young professionals, and I just see the challenges, and so many of them have, you know, they've made life-altering decisions long before I met them. Mm -hmm. It's just really laboring in prayer and taking our time and really understanding First Corinthians chapter 3 It's the Holy Spirit that brings the growth. It's Uh, not me. I mm -hmm. need to be obedient. But I I think probably when I was younger, things were happening fast, and we were reaching a lot of people. And it's kind of easy to start to read your own press clippings and think they're Uh, true. uh Uh-huh.
0: Uh-huh. What what does prayer look like for you now? Give me an idea of your prayer life.
1: Well, it's not where I want it to be. (laughs) Um, I, I really, again, this is just Max Barnett's imprint. He just prays throughout the day. And when I would first hang out with him years and years ago, one minute we're talking OU you football, the next thing I know he's praying. And so I get confused. And then he's talking about the Dallas Cowboys. And I was just told be driving around. And I, I didn't know if I'm supposed to bow my head. Well, he's driving, you know, he's not, you know. And so I think I've just adopted really from him. I'm just moving in and out of prayer all day. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm talking to people, I'm praying. Um, I'm thinking about something, then I'm praying. And, and then I, I watch people, and I'm not trying to make them uncomfortable, but they react like I used to the max. You know, it's like, wait a second, I thought we were talking about, you know, now you're praying, you know?
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: it's just, I just want it to be part of the overflow of my daily experience.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You know, when I was yeah. o- overseas, I've had two different, maybe three different experiences that really make me feel like like prayer should have a higher, much higher priority in my life. One of them, when I was overseas, there was a a man that was ethnically the same uh people group, but he was uh he was an American citizen. And he just okay. had huge moves of God. I mean, plant thousands upon thousands of churches. Um, he developed something called T for T, if you've ever heard of that.
1: Oh yes. And
0: and, you know, so they would send us to these trainings and even a training from him on T for T and 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 basically, no one else would get the same results that he get. But our regional leader said one time, he said, "You know, this guy—he literally has calluses on his knees from the amount of time he spends praying." And it was like, "Well, maybe if I would change that." And then I used to uh, be a part of a house church that was associated with uh, Northwest Baptist, and they had different groups of churches associated. And once a month, everybody that was in a leadership on one of those different churches would come together. And it was the Korean church. They always had something. Oh, we started a new small group. We did this, did that. But they were also the only church that opened up. They had a three-hour prayer time every night. It wasn't mandatory, but people could come and go. You know, And that emphasis on prayer, it's one of those things that I know I should do more, but I still haven't practically been able to get that into my life the way I should or the way I'd like.
1: It is work. It is work. But it's so, at the same time, it's like after a good run, you just feel so much better. You're so glad you did it.
2: Mm-hmm. You learn a
1: lot about a man when you pray with him. You mm-hmm. learn about what he really thinks. Mm-hmm. And you can get a pretty good idea about his intimacy with the Lord. Mm-hmm. You Was know, is he talking to a dear, trusted friend or to a stranger? Mm-hmm. You know, something I heard a long time ago really convicted me. Crowd people don't pray. You know they don't need to depend on the Lord; they depend on themselves. And so I thought, oh man, I'm proud, I'm arrogant, uh-huh.
2: I don't,
1: I don't want to walk in that. Yeah. It, it, I need to, I need to be praying more than normal, just because of my, my black heart uh-huh. that wants to do its own thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's true. And I think when you're listening to this, people go back and read his his comment. Several places in there, you talk about just how much we rely on ourselves, or we think we can do it ourselves, and really how much more. In fact, at the end of each one of these things, you talk about I need to rely on the Holy Spirit. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit. I need to rely on the Holy Spirit. Tell me about that, especially as a Southern Baptist. I'm roughly a Southern Baptist as well, and I think we're all a little scared of the Holy Spirit. Um, what does that look like to you? Tell me about that.
1: Oh man, well that'd be another podcast. Uh, I grew up in the Tulsa area in the '70s, and so you had Raymond Bible and Oral Roberts. And so all the Baptist churches went the other way. You, you didn't even, you know, say amen or clap, you know, people look at you. Um, and so my father uh, told me uh, years later that he really wanted to learn about the Holy Spirit. He was pastoring, but he couldn't get anybody to talk to him. Mm-hmm. So he reached out to some people in the Tulsa area who weren't Baptist, and they really helped him kind of get a more full view. Mm-hmm. Well, fast forward. I'm a. I, I get right with Jesus. I'm living in the dormitory as a as an upperclassman at the University of Oklahoma, trying to have a ministry. I'm leading people to Christ, for are discipling guys, and one of the young men I'm working with is Panamanian, and he is charismatic, and he speaks in tongues at the drop of the hat. He'd come to our Bible study and want to speak in tongues, and I'm like, man, I I don't I don't think so, you
2: know. Mm-hmm.
1: But I, I didn't want to quench him. I I didn't want to discourage him, but he just didn't seem like he had any boundaries. So that's when I called, I remember called my father and was asking for advice. And he told me this kind of his journey about how he really, you know, had to be intentional and to develop a, a biblical theology of the Holy Spirit. And so I think that set me on a journey. That was twenty five years ago. Mm-hmm. And I don't speak in tongues, never have. I don't think I will. But I mean, you know, I want to be sensitive to the filling of the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in the power of the Spirit. I really want to have an accurate biblical understanding of who he is mm-hmm. and his role in my life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I had a nice advantage of about half of my family's Assembly of God and half of my family's Baptist. And so I got right. a little bit, a little bit more of that, but I still feel like, what I feel like with a lot of myself is like, I'm pretty sure I know like spiritual gifts. I'm pretty sure I know what spiritual gifts don't look like, but I'm still exactly right. wrestling with what they should look like. You yeah. know, and and sometimes what they shouldn't look like on both ends of either, you know, like your Panamanian friend, or maybe the other side of right. the. Yeah. I don't believe in them at all. And yeah. how can we have a an a balanced, accurate view that builds up the church, that displays yeah. the power of the Holy Spirit?
1: Amen. Well, I think, uh, I mean, you know, I I'm not changing teams. I, I think some of the reasons why I like being a Baptist. I <laughs> I attended. I was a member the Southern Baptist Church that was definitely a confessionist church through and through. And then my wife and I are also members and attended another Southern Baptist Church that would be considered a full Southern Baptist Church, or call home, open, where they practiced all of the gifts, mm. and they were both, you know, in good standing. And so, yeah, I think there's some some room in there, but again, it starts with you, it starts with me, humbly before the Lord in the Word, and really wanting to understand what the Scripture says
2: hmm yeah yeah
0: six developing generations of disciple makers to be fruitful over the long haul requires more encouragement and support than i understood it to be the vision of intentional disciple making gripped my heart in college since then i have never doubted this biblical mandate and am committed to develop lifetime laborers regardless of the opinions of those around me however I have come to realize that I am exponentially more effective when I receive encouragement, support, and ongoing training to fulfill my calling. I taught on the importance of tr- teams, but personally thought I had enough horsepower to get the job done with or without any help. I fundamentally misunderstood the biblical power of visionary community and what others could offer to help me be more effective in the kingdom. You see this clearly in Acts two forty-two through 46 I need to rely upon the Holy Spirit and His plan for developing life to long leaders more than just my passion for making disciples.
1: Yeah, I think that was probably one of the most most personal things I think I wrote. I, for so many years, I was young and a hard charger, and I don't care if other people agree with me or not. This is biblical, and we're going to go do it. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten older, I hope it's just uh, the power of the Spirit bringing me into likeness, but Man, I, I need to be on a team. I, I need encouragement. I, um, I I, don't have all the answers. It seems like the older I get, you hear people say, the less I know.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I, I really feel that. I, my confidence in Christ is greater than it's ever been, but my pessimism and my ability to do things <laughs> is, is at its lowest. Right? So, yeah, I, I need on, I need to be on a team. I need people to encourage me. I need people to tell me the truth, not just agree with me. Mm-hmm. And then I need to be that for others as well. -hmm. And we really need to work together more effectively.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, 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 and just kind of that seems to be one of the big things for people when they when they leave like a a really good intentional college ministry. Someone told me I can't remember who it was in the last month that like that seemed that read is like the number one factor about whether someone would continue to intentionally make disciples was if they were part of a church that did that or if they got into a new group of communities. And I feel like part of the question is how do we connect? How do we connect people, or how do we? Partly, we just need more disciple makers, but how do we connect them in such a way that they yeah. can have that support?
1: Yeah, that's right. That's a good word.
0: What are you doing? Because I know you have a you have a history of students. You got about twenty years worth of students uh, from your ministry there. You've got some more um, from the people that you're discipling now in the Nav twenties. What are you trying to do to create? either plug them in or create communities or like, what are you doing? What are you
2: trying?
1: Well, we, the best way I describe it, James, is we offer two tiers of service.
2: Remember, we always
1: have an all-a-carte approach. Mm-hmm. And so one tier, these are the young men and women that really have did what we asked when they were in campus ministry. Um, they, they're now outworking, they're married, or they're single, and they're active in their local church and they're faithful, praise God. Mm-hmm. But the fact is that no one is really helping them think through the workplace. How do I reach the workplace? Mm-hmm. And so many churches, you know, they're just doing all they can to help the children and you know, love people well. When do they really get into a robust theology of work? Mm-hmm. So we can come alongside those men and women. They're not pulling them out of the local church, not at all, and we can specifically coach that and we can do some one-on-one things with them so that they can be effective long-term in their local church and in their their place of employment. Then we have a whole other second tier, and they're not really churched. They're not very faithful, and they're not going to go to a church this coming Sunday and really plug in. Mm -hmm. But we're we're a community where they can find life and hope and be loved and encouraged. And then we're now, you know, we're 20s, we're not 30s, so... Our, our hope is, in a year or two, that they're going to have some confidence, they're going to have some competence, and we can redeploy them into local churches where, the, for the long haul, they can go and make disciples and be effective. Mm-hmm. And I just think, man, that's that's crucial, that we can really accommodate both groups well.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and have the grace to do it, or the grace yeah, for one group right. for the other.
2: That's right.
1: And so they do interact and overlap a little bit. But at the same time James they're not able to completely engage you know and and so we we want them to really commit to the local church but they're just not ready for that yet well how do we get them ready you know we have to really train that
0: mm-hmm. yeah I feel like there's a something you said earlier in terms of like getting a person where they can feed themselves or getting them where they fall in love with Jesus first and That's then it. and then they're then they're willing to go spend some time with Jesus's bride but Right. If you don't have the love for Jesus, or if you're not in that connection part, you can't really go. You can go to church, but you're missing missing—you're missing the main connection. that will keep you in That's church.
1: Right. You know, I used to be critical of churches that I felt like were kind of shallow and, you know, more entertainment. But then um, I would hear stories about very well-known people around where I live that are kind of known to be kind of rascals and would never darken the door of a church. And next thing I hear, they're attending one of these kind of churches I look down on. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, because that's a church that makes sense to them, and that's where they start. They probably don't end up there in five or ten years. Mm-hmm. But the deep, robust, theological, intensive church, there, they're not going to walk into that and plug in right away. Mm-hmm. And so just meeting people where they are and having having places to accommodate them, and then to lead them to the next thing. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. It sounds like you've grown a lot in grace over the last— I don't know how many years.
1: I'm trying, brother. I don't know.
0: (laughs) It is a challenge. I feel like there's a lot to say for if we can work with people where they're at or churches where they're at. And it gets real easy to be critical, but that usually doesn't do much good. That's right. Well, what – is it okay if I – if people wanted to reach out to you or connect with you, can they do that on Facebook or do you run a blog? Do you – if they're in Oklahoma City, they can probably go see or plug into NAV20s if they're in that
1: area. So that's right. We, um, and I I welcome, I'm Irish, so I welcome a good <laughs> argument. If people disagree with all the stuff i said, reach out to me and let's talk about it. We'll have some coffee or we can talk, we can Skype and we can discuss all the great problems of American Christianity. But no, I Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, however people, I can give you my personal information and people want that. You can give that out. Individually, but yeah, anything we can do to be a resource or a blessing, okay, we want
0: to do that. We'll do. I really appreciate it, and uh, maybe another time down the road, I'll have you on the podcast, and we can talk some more about the theology of work and how we go about okay. engaging engaging our workplace. I think that'd be really good as well. I look forward to. it. I appreciate it. Last last chance. Anything you want to throw out? Uh, last thought for the crew. Oh
1: well, you and I know that. If anything good happens, it's because the Lord does it. So just really trusting Him and walking in humility. Man, I think when I started to figure out, you know, God doesn't really need me, and I just need to humble myself and submit to the Scriptures and be in community under authority, Mm -hmm. really walking in the power of the Spirit, it just got so much easier. Isn't that crazy?
2: Mm -hmm.
1: It took me a while. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. One last question for you based off of that. What are you doing to help your son understand that earlier than you did?
1: No, that's not so good. of um, well, number one, I'm married way over my head. So, this mm-hmm. is mother's example, which is perfect and wonderful. And I've been really open and honest with my son about you know, the challenges I've had, mistakes I've made, and just helping him think through. The Again, remember, tell them why. So, I really wanted to help them understand the why behind things, not just do it because mom and dad said so, or that's, you know, he needs to have a reason.
2: Mm-hmm. And then
1: I just tell him why, but show him how, really mm-hmm. model practically the very things that we want to talk about.
2: Yeah,
0: that's good. Well, I really appreciate you, John. I appreciate I appreciate your work, and I appreciate the uh, chance to have a conversation with you and pick your brain a little bit.
1: You're welcome.
0: Well, I sure hope you enjoyed that. I know I really did. And I don't know about you, but some of my takeaways are, man, if people like John that have been disciple making for a long time really need to rely more on prayer and the Holy Spirit I bet I do too anyway I thought it was great if you want to connect with John do do that by all means you can find him on Facebook or if you're not connected to either one of us on Facebook you can uh, send me an email here at james at luke5.com and I can connect you with John and I would encourage you to follow him and see some of the stuff he's doing and lastly let's just go and make disciples and let's do it intentionally, and man, let's rely on the Holy Spirit. Love you guys, and we'll see you next week. Oh yeah, and just a quick update on me. I had surgery about three weeks ago. The surgery went well. I'm still recovering from that, and slowly getting a little better all the time. I do appreciate your prayers. We'll appreciate your continued prayers. Thanks. (music)